0: Here. Captain, yes. signatures detected. Shields up. Yes. Signatures detected. Context, South Beach Command. What's C- Context, South Beach Command. Delay that order. Context, South Beach Command. This
1: is the captain. A- context, South Beach Command. Get out of my chair, 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 chair. chair. We have
0: engaged
1: the Klingons. Klingons. Klingons.
0: Welcome to the greatest discovery, the Star Trek Discovery podcast by the makers of the Greatest Generation, one of the other Star Trek podcasts that we're a little bit embarrassed to be making. I'm Adam Pranica.
1: I'm Ben Harrison.
0: Here we are, the we made season it. finale, <laughs> season one of Star Trek Discovery.
1: Boy, I was uh, I was blown away at the fact that this was a 45-minute episode.
0: Yeah, I'll Al- cop to being disappointed in its runtime <laughs> because, uh, you know... The, this show has made such a big deal about being unencumbered by the network apparatus, you know, that counts for a number of things. It's it's budget and casting and storytelling and all of those things, but... It's like when GM started the Saturn car company, you know, they were like, hey, man, this is a totally different
1: kind of car company.
0: Right, and now you never see any Saturns on the road. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought runtime would be another way that they they wouldn't be part of that machine. But not the case. I mean they
1: they did do that one weirdly short episode.
0: Yeah, so I guess that counts. That was the episode brought to us by L'Oreal for some reason.
1: <laughs> um I've had a a hell of a day. I had to uh th- we're recording this on Sunday night at 10 40pm. I uh, recorded uh, a guest spot on another podcast that should be coming out soon. I went to my uh, wife's uncle's birthday party at a local Mexican family restaurant. (laughs) And uh, I raced home and I watched disco two times.
0: Hey Benjamin! Yeah. give me that episode two times, two times.
1: I'm gonna go get the papers. Get the papers. Well, I don't know if we've talked about this on air. We've we've uh, we recorded the entire first, you know, like chapter one or whatever. I guess is how they're dividing it of of uh, the greatest discovery. Like watching the episode and then like jumping on air as, as quickly as the as we could, and we realized that we like the way we have. Greatest Discovery scheduled, we could get away with watching it a second time before recording. And so for chapter two, we've we we've been making a habit of watching it twice. And I I really like having two watch-throughs under my belt before hopping on mic.
0: Yeah, it's, it makes it a better show. And by that, I mean, I think it makes Discovery better. And I think it makes this... Down podcast better
1: <laughs> <laughs> initially what, what i was doing was watching through the first time and taking notes and then watching to a, through a second time for fun but then i was like wait a second i could watch through the first time for fun and then it would be like watching it for fun i don't know why that didn't occur to me th- initially
0: <laughs> what do you say we inject a little bit of fun into this project that's a good idea
1: right <laughs> uh let's do it like they do on the discovery channel adam it's season one, episode fifteen. Will you take my hand?
0: We have engaged the Klingons. 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 What the hell is
1: going on on this ship? Ship. The slightest idea.
0: First episode of the series that asks a question in its title. Ben, what do you think they're referring to? Hmm.
1: Is it the part at the end where where the ships
0: are about to kiss? It's always a question asked by someone who shouldn't be trusted, I feel like. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah. If you
0: have to ask usually not a good sign. We get a really fun cold open here, Ben, which is like a push past the Klingon invasion fleet and then a satellite wipe that reveals Kronos and a pullback. And this is like the first of of many symmetries that are visited upon us in this episode, right?
1: This is a shot that is kind of showing the doom that awaits both planets. Like, it's kind of crazy to think, as desperate as this war has felt for our characters that we've been following, the idea that, like, both Earth and Kronos are basically fucked at the beginning of this episode.
0: And that point exactly... Has not really been made. Like, the, the the case that Admiral Bob makes is that by fucking up Kronos, it'll get the fleet to turn around and rally. But man, I never saw it that way. It seems like mutually assured destruction. As soon as you start lighting off bombs on Kronos, I don't think anything's turning around the fleet. I think Earth is just as fucked. People have put all the eggs in the fleet's gonna turn around basket like
1: the one thing that stood out as not getting discussed in this episode is that generally this is an idea that wouldn't be happening if Michael Burnham hadn't taken it to Admiral Bob yeah I feel like from jump Michael Burnham is acting like oh man I can't believe we're doing this and it's like you you can believe it it (laughs) because you're the one that pitched it the George O thing was a bit of a wild card but
0: aside from that
1: like come on (laughs) Let's be honest here.
0: What are we supposed to do with Admiral Bob up until now, and then after this episode?
1: Yeah, she re- she really takes a turn in this episode, doesn't she?
0: Yeah. Well, maybe we'll we'll try to go through this up chronologically, but I have a feeling we're going to jump around a little bit.
1: Yeah, our pal Emperor Giorgio has taken the role of Captain Giorgio, but she is not. Um, she's not playing th- the part that well. And uh, <laughs> she's she's acting like a real prick to all of the people that have jobs on the bridge.
0: I have little, little interest are- in what we're scanning. I care what's scanning us.
1: And eventually Saru kind of gets uh, Michael Burnham to like come over to his station so that they can sotto voce about what a big B their new captain is being.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a level of big dogging you really didn't even see that much in the mirror universe. Mostly right. because everyone who took an order knew to shut up about it.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Like that's the thing, is like Giorgio Emperor Edition is kind of used to everybody just agreeing like on a on a like molecular level with whatever she's ordering them to do. And so when when people are just like fractionally out of step with responding to orders she really gets down their down their throat about it and it seems kind of like she's you know she she's not as good at playing a prime universe as as they were at playing mirror universes when they had to go to her universe right like lorca was able to blend in but maybe like as emperor she's so disconnected from the idea of people not being a thousand percent enthralled to her way of thinking that she just like cannot play the part.
0: Yeah. I thought a lot about that too in like in comparing Lorca and Giorgio, I would have liked to have known. I mean, there's no way to tell that story, which is too bad. Right. Like, like the, the hiding in plain sight that mirror universe Lorca does throughout the series doesn't give us that, that fun realization of how he's able to to do that. And so we're just made to guess. I feel like the
1: novelization would be awesome, though, to yeah. like really like dig into that part.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you want to be the guy reading Star Trek books in public, though? <laughs> I, I went through that life <laughs> once in junior high, and I'm not willing to do that again.
1: You're still picking that wedgie. <laughs> Um speaking of trying to act, uh Burnham like tries to draw out Giorgio by going like, "What did you say your hometown was again? Boy, I remember going there with you. Can't remember what it was called." And uh Giorgio like totally has that one chambered, which like wouldn't mirror universe Giorgio have the same hometown as prime Giorgio?
0: Yeah, I would think. I think that question's got to be a little different. It's sort of like uh, the Stamets asking Michael Burnham what's a secret that no one would ever know, and it right. Like, it it seemed that flimsy.
1: Like it should have been like, what is that? Remind me, what is what what you etched in your your family's prized ancient telescope again, or something like that? You know, like yeah, like if they if they'd like planted a little. A little something on that on that artifact that would have been more interesting.
0: This is the first of a couple of scenes that like get it gets close to some real tension, but it doesn't quite go far enough because Georges drags Michael Burnham out into the hallway for a little bit of a tongue lashing. But like, what were the stakes of? Giorgio being outed on the bridge. I'm a little bit unclear as to how bad that would have been and I think I would have wanted to know that. I think
1: one thing that uh we fucked up in our last episode was I think Emperor Giorgio hologram appeared on the bridge of the Shenzhou and not the Dis- Discovery. Right. So like most of these people maybe aren't aware of who she really is. Sure. Uh, Which, like, I think is maybe, like, a production design problem Like, the bridges don't feel different enough
0: Yeah, that's a fair point
1: I think you can make the case the other way, right? Like, shouldn't all Starfleet bridges feel like Starfleet bridges and, like, era-appropriate? But isn't the Shenzo, like, way older than the Disco? Like,
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be the jalopy of the fleet
1: Like, I, I should never forget what ship I'm on
0: I think you're kind of a ship racist, Ben. I think that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> I can't tell them apart. Is that does that make me racist? Does that make hey, me racist? <laughs> I've got a I got a starship as a friend. We hang out all the time. <laughs> Some of my best friends are starships. <laughs>
1: I uh, uh, I dated a starship in college. So I feel like I've I've earned the right
0: What, like, that's some kind of experimentation to you, Ben? Like, you just leave it in the past like that? I mean,
1: I didn't introduce the starship to my parents...
0: Look, man, all I know is uh, a starship moved onto my block, and I just don't know how to feel about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, the property values are really going to go through the floor when a 400-foot-long slab of metal sets down in the driveway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it really bends the traffic pattern in a way that that makes my commute a lot longer.
1: Yeah, there's like 300 people living on that thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um Georgeo says something here in the hallway to Michael that I don't want to skip over. She articulates the curse of having empathy here. She says you instigate valiantly and then second guess. And boy, she must have been like she could have been looking at me directly through the television <laughs> because that is a feeling that I totally get. The the, I'm ready to fight, and as soon as I start fighting, I immediately regret having started the fight. But boy, it sure does describe Starfleet in a very efficient way. And and this, and this conflict specifically, like, they got into it, and now they don't know what to do. And now they're sort of paralyzed.
1: And now they're turning to a person that is willing to do the things that they're not willing to do. It's... Right. Uh, it's exactly what we were talking about in the last episode, like Georgiou is willing to go, is, is willing to go places that they can't.
0: In a scene that maybe underscores that point uh, with the thickest line is, <laughs> is right after show open, right after theme song, we cut to the brig and it's Laurel versus Giorgio with Michael Burnham watching and Georges is asking for coordinates. This is an interrogation. Yeah. She wants to know, after the disco, Spore drives itself into a cave. They're going to need some people on the surface. Where is a safe place on the surface for them to be? And Lorelle is like, fuck you.
1: I will tell you nothing.
0: I've been in solitary confinement for weeks. Like, do you think i give a shit about your mission? Give me a break. And so Georgiou opens the force field, and does not get into a Star Trek fight with her. She, like, savagely throws her a beating in a very un-Star Trek way. Yeah, she gets in, like, a Quentin Tarantino fight with her. Almost like an American History X-style curb stomp at the end. It is fucking vicious. It, I think
1: the outfit that Lorel is in, like, restricts her arm movements, but there's also, like... She also gets, like, shocked when this force yeah. field goes down. That also, like, unless that's just, like, a like a buzz to keep them from running out of there, that seems very un-Starfleet. But Michael Burnham basically barely prevents Giorgio from Don King-style stomping Laurel to death uh, by saying, like, I have another idea, and I'm not crazy about it, but we can go talk to my ex-boyfriend. Hmm? <laughs> and so they go down to... Uh, they go down to Ash Tyler's quarters, and Ash Tyler's doing some, some marlin spiking, tying some sailor's knots. And they start talking to him about, like, what do you know as guy who is basically human now, but has all of the memories of Klingon torchbearer Vok.
0: It would have been hilarious if Georgio throws him a beating too. Like she just can't help herself. <laughs> I know how to. I know how to get this guy talking. She's like, no, no, no. He was talking to us. He was. Oh come on. Like, luckily Ash Tyler didn't know what happened in the scene previous, but like, Giorgio should have some really bloody knuckles.
1: Ash Tyler is totally doing that. Law and order thing of like just keeping doing what he was doing when the police came in and started questioning him. He's like tuning up the underside of the car and, you know, sliding yeah. around on the mechanics creeper going like, yeah, I saw her. <laughs> you know, I saw her this Saturday before she died. No big deal.
0: He's given his hand something to do. That's important.
1: The idea is they they've got to beam in. They've got to get the ship into the inside of Kronos so that the Klingons don't know they are around and then they're going to send a drone up a I guess what is being called a chimney
0: a uh, a volcanic canal
1: right and it and it goes up to the surface so they'll send the drone up am I getting this right am I or, or am I getting it totally wrong right it's still super confusing i've watched all of the episodes in chapter 2 twice and i'm still a little unclear about exactly the mechanics of this
0: the plan is really so much less important than the interpersonal stuff surrounding the plan. Yeah,
1: they're having like this McLaughlin group issue one, or in the round, and Georgia's like, "The three of us here—we're the ones that are going to go do this because the the spot on the surface that we're going to is controlled by the Orions, uh, which uh, I think it's a DS Nine thing that the Orions are like the criminal syndicate of the galaxy." But uh, Giorgio is like, hey, listen, I have one more dramatic reveal to make. We're taking somebody else with us. And she turns to the door and like in comes Tilly, who is like weirdly there right at the dramatic moment.
0: Yeah. Like they had her wait outside. Yeah.
1: How did that work? Because then Tilly is like, whoa, you. Oh, man. I've been a fan for a long time. It's like she's surprised to see her.
0: Yeah, even though Georgiou's been captain for a while at this point. Like, when you work on a starship, you should always know who your captain is, right? <laughs> at any given moment. <laughs> I feel like that, that's, in the, that's in the ship-wide uh, newsletter. Yeah, anytime a new captain comes on, you hear the sound.
1: And then yeah. you, like, find out who that is, right?
0: Yeah, and then you hear Georgiou make fun of Saru.
1: Yeah, this guy looks delicious. What is he, my
0: first officer or my first meal? This begins basically a one actor tour de force that Mary Wiseman does throughout the episode. Oh my is God. Which fairly dominant comedically.
1: Yeah, in this scene, like the the thing that really set me off was when Giorgio like reached up to touch her hair and she like does that differential slide pass like
0: what the fuck is going on <laughs> and and the moment before that uh Georgiou tells her her hair sucks and she agrees like she's bu- being bullied by her yeah there's so much about this performance that is not on the page like i'm excited to watch the featurette about the making of this episode because i wonder if they just wilded a couple of takes here yeah. to see what would happen because there's something so natural about Mary Wiseman's reaction here and some of her line reads that just don't seem like they could be written if they are it's in, it's great writing
1: oh I would love to see a shooting script man like yeah yeah just just to see like what they had there yeah these are actors that really know their characters at this point and yeah. this is such satisfying uh character work to watch like Like, how many times have we all seen a situation precisely like this go down? Like, the status stuff that is at play, the, you know, the social awkwardness stuff that is at play. Like, I'm super familiar with
0: this. It also saves what should be ham and cheese, right? Like, this is the moment in the Ocean's Eleven movie where they get the 11th person to join the crew and it's like the drunk or like the wild card the one that just doesn't quite fit
1: I know what is happening right and like and like that little bit of levity makes the next sequence like work in a way that it shouldn't like not that it shouldn't but like like, that isn't Trek, you know? Like, the next sequence is, like, them doing the jump and Stamets going, like, I'm fucking good, baby! And then, like, walking down the hall and beaming. It's like the, hey, like, wouldn't it be cool if we were actually cool version of that?
0: You get the little bit of Reservoir Dogs walk there, like, on their way to the transporter room, except, like, it's a five-person away team now, Ben. It's it's Burnham, Giorgio, Folk, Tilly, and Georgiou's Fringe. <laughs> which is straight swinging who knew George O is a summer goth <laughs> yeah yeah we have been waiting for
1: someone worthy of our attention who are you I mean, them. those are klingons so uh they beam into this cave and then we get a nice like a nice like drone shot of the surface of Kronos. Clearly somebody got their FAA drone pilot's license to do this. Sure. And we get like a, a fun Moss Isley introduction to this kind of like alien spaceport on Kronos. Like it's it's not Klingons exclusively. Like there are definitely like homeless Klingons and and stuff, but there's a lot of like the green type of people that Kirk was so fond of banging, and like other different types of riffraff, we see—I'm pretty sure—a Klingon dong.
0: Well, we see a couple of Klingon dongs. Either someone who has a blockage in his urethra and is and is shooting two streams, or it's double donging.
1: Yeah, Ross, the streams.
0: Which I think now answers the question with finality. There can be no question that Klingons have two dicks. Yeah. And they're one on top of the other. They are not side by side. Who knew
1: Worf was packing like that the whole time? There are like 11 seasons of Worf TV.
0: He never took it out. <laughs> Do Klingon females have two vaginal canals, or does the Klingon male just pack two dongs into one canal?
1: I think there was a throwaway line about like not enough holes or something at some point in this series do you think the most did i make that t- up <laughs> i'm a monster if i made that up
0: is the worst part of being ash tyler slash vogue like every time he <laughs> takes a piss he looks down and sees only one dick <laughs>
1: yeah he, there's actually a guy that follows him around with a trombone and goes
0: does he have two sacks
1: dude he has four nuts
0: (laughs) he's not human i kind of went through the stages of science fiction night market acceptance here in this scene (laughs) The, the first stage for me was yes we're finally in like a hive of scum and villainy like i love this But then as soon as I had that thought, I was like, wait, this is fucking tropey. This is what we see every time when we go to a science fiction night market, like the shady district of a major city as depicted in the future. And for a moment, I wrote it off as like a lack of imagination and it being lame. But then I kind of cannoned myself into maybe the lack of imagination is the point and like this is a universal way to depict slum of the universe hmm. like maybe this is this is normalizing in a way that is not derivative maybe this is maybe this is more like more alike than different than it is just lazy but i don't know Yeah, what did you think
1: i think trek has a rich tradition of of throwing an homage to another sci-fi thing into its imagery. And, like, this is, like, every time we went to some, you know, bar that a Ferengi was hanging out in in TNG on our other show, The Greatest Generation, we were so wet for it being more like this right yeah like wanting to see more weird aliens and wanting to like see you know like the thing that is cool about this is it's it's a huge set like you see like deep into the distance and i mean i think you know like they tried to do this in enterprise and they've tried to do this in firefly like they've tried to do this in any number of sci-fi television shows and this is the first time it's like looked kind of like a a cinematically big scope
0: yeah so that was cool what i really liked was that it was not just about music or uh, or gambling or whatever, but, like, there was a very clear depiction of food culture and, like, the Andrew Zimmernification of, <laughs> of like, food stalls and stuff where yeah. like, people were eating the bugs from SETI Alpha 5. Like, that is yeah. great shit.
1: I was, like, doing my best not to have social media get at me. Somebody uh, was trying to tweet me that this was a nubbin bug, but it's definitely the SETI Alpha 5 guy, right? Yeah,
0: I don't think there's any question that that's that that's the proper bug.
1: Yeah. But the, I'd never thought about how much the Seti the Seti eel and the uh, and the nubbin bug looked alike.
0: Yeah, they look like their cousins probably. Yeah, maybe they're related in some way. <laughs> I bet they hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's that narcissism of Does that minor make me a nubbin bug
1: racist? <laughs> I can't tell the difference.
0: You're a racist in so many ways, Ben. (laughs) That's not the only fun with food scene we get. They're doing a little bit of an arms deal. Like, right away, they get to town, and they're, like, trading weapons for... They're trying to trade weapons for information, and...
1: I like that they've, like, dressed up in loser clothing, and they walk through this place, and they immediately read as Federation. (laughs) Like he's like, get the fuck out of here, cops.
0: They're 21 jump-streeting... Chronos at this point, because like, it's not just their clothes, it's their essential humanity that makes them stick out.
1: Yeah, you don't look like sociopaths. Get out of here!
0: Insult her again, and your nose is going to be able to sniff the back of your head.
1: This is the scene where Tilly uh, kind of draws Michael Burnham away, and they, they go get some popsicles with flared bases, and they're eating them, and they're talking about, like, what Giorgio might really be up to, because it is not clear at this point. Like, that. Like, as far as they know, this is like a hard target search for a shrine that has a hole in it that they can drop their drone down and map the surface of Kronos. Because the big problem the Federation has is if they're going to launch a major offensive on Kronos, they don't really know where any of the military targets are. And they're not going to mount an effective attack if they're not taking out important stuff first.
0: The one thing you want to do when you're with someone that you think is dangerous is leave them alone with a bunch of weapons.
1: <laughs> yeah. Let's leave her alone with the guy that's part Klingon and yeah. a bunch of weapons <laughs> and go over here. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So with that little bit of business settled, uh, Giorgio grabs the gang and they go into a strip club slash hookah bar slash tavern space to get <laughs> more intel. This is a pretty great business idea I think that I'm a little surprised doesn't exist in a modern context give me all the things all (laughs) together it's fun
1: yeah I mean it's like the Vegas of of Kronos is kind of what we're coming to think this place is if you gotta win you gotta hit
0: there's one of these in every group of friends. The the person who is a little too excited to go to a strip club or pick up some hookers, and and Georgia like her ass hits the seat, and five seconds later she's like, uh, "I'm going to the champagne room with these two. Hold it down, Tilly."
1: It's another like opportunity for Mary Wiseman to be fucking amazing and hilarious, and say like, "Oh yeah, no, you don't need to get me a girl. I'm cool."
0: She's been a fish out of water so long, I can't remember the last time she was in water, you know? Like she's, yeah. She's permanently out of her comfort zone. But that's kind of her character, right? Like, yeah. It me. We have engaged the Klingons, Klingons. What the hell is going on in this ship? What is this? At this point, Ash Tyler uh, wants to go have a little bit of a gamble, As a way to, to get some intel, so he he like enters a Klingon dice game and like falls into a pattern of, of Klingon fraternity that is really fun to see. Like he doesn't even try to play it cool. Like he's ready to bump chests and roll dice and, and wild out a little bit in a way that that is fun for a viewer, but actually triggers Michael Burnham and gives her some of the, I think the only flashbacks we see her actually get. They're very affecting.
1: I thought it was uh, pretty smart filmmaking to use like a very similar technique. Like when, when Ash Tyler first walks into that room-o-bodies and sees Laurel and has his, his like PTSD flashback, they're going like real tight on his eye with really, really like, razor-thin depth of focus on that eye. Yeah. And they do that in this scene, but they flipped it around. Like, she's facing the opposite direction that he was to show that she's having a similar, like, triggering experience to seeing him, like, laughing and doing Klingon shit, but also that it's, like, putting her, you know, separating her from him.
0: This whole setting uh, cross-cuts between the away team
1: Back at the strip club, Tilly has encountered Green Clint Howard. Yeah, veteran Star Trek actor Clint Howard. How many years between Star Trek appearances
0: for Clint? Well, he was an OG Star Trek he, yeah. like as a child actor, but then he was also an Enterprise. So it hasn't been that long. TBH. Yeah,
1: he's the longest standing Star Trek at this point, right? Yeah, he probably now goes longer than Nimoy, right?
0: Yeah, probably. I mean, I can see the OG reason for for giving a cameo to Clint Howard, like he's fun and funny, but like for a show that has both embraced the idea of its social d- justiceness and has also been like accused of it in a in a negative way, like clint howard is a total like ted cruz republican really i sort of smirk at the idea like this is a creative staff and a production staff that has intentionally been put together uh made up of people who hold antithetical views to mr ted cruz and so like ted cruz specifically so i thought it was a strange choice to to invite clint howard to the party but maybe that, maybe in doing that, that is the message also. Like, it's a big tent. Star Trek's a big tent. You are not who you vote for. And we've got room for you here, too. Well,
1: Ted Cruz, famously and incongruously a big fan of Star Trek, too. Yeah. Although he was like, a, I like Kirk more than I like TNG guy. Because Kirk bones down or something. I don't know.
0: One thing we know about Ted Cruz is that he loves pornography. <laughs> Tilly takes some hits from the bong <laughs> yeah. after a little bit of uh, coercion. These are uh, these are volcano ash bong hits, Ben and uh, and she starts tripping before passing out.
1: She hits it and she like she goes on her ass. Apparently her tolerance is not quite as, as high as Clint Howard's. Yeah. And we cut to a pretty intense scene between Burnham and Tyler. She, like, really explains to Tyler, like, this really fucked up memory of after having heard her father killed and her mom probably raped and killed, she's, like, hiding in a cupboard listening to Klingons eat the food that was on their dinner table and, like, hang out and laugh and enjoy themselves. And that, like... That scene of ty- of Tyler going and, like, hanging out and laughing and enjoying himself while gambling and trying to ply those Klingons for information, um, you know, had the exact sound of the worst moment in her entire life.
0: I really like the idea of a laugh being made into something terrible. Like, that, that contrast was very effective to me.
1: And especially... Interesting that she then lived with Vulcans uh, for the rest of her upbringing. Like, she never had to confront that ever again.
0: What better way to squish the feelings than to squish the emotions?
1: That's something this show does really well. Like, it it kind of will layer two things in like that and and make them, like, a little bit more interesting based on context. You know, she she lays this on Tyler in a way that is like, you know, like, they had a real, like, rough confrontation in the last episode that was very definitively a we're not going to be together ever again conversation. And this scene, I feel like they've moved past that in an interesting way where they're like, you know, they still have the intimacy of friendship, but not the intimacy of people that are a an item. And so... When she tells him this stuff, it's like, it's heavy, but it's not, it's not like a girlfriend telling a boyfriend something. It's, it's like a shipmate telling another shipmate something.
0: Yeah. It was germane to the mission that like, there's such a difference between a secret you tell someone that you're intimate with any secret you tell someone who, you know, you'll never see again. Right. It was like that kind of difference. It does not bring them any closer. It just brings them closer to an understanding. That is a feeling that is woven throughout. Like, they're working on a mission together, but none of this brings them closer at all. They are neutral parties in this thing.
1: If you want people that are close, you're going to have to cut to the scene where Giorgio is, like, panting after banging the two
0: strippers that she hired. Like, the mind reels at what she must have done to them.
1: (laughs) They're, like, I don't know if they're, like, buttering her up. But they're saying, like, wow, we didn't know how to fuck until you came along.
0: (laughs) The idea of hookers telling you that they shouldn't charge you because of the knowledge that you dropped on them. (laughs) Pretty amazing.
1: It's like your famous tweet that you uh, sent to Sammy Hagar, Adam.
0: I don't remember what you're talking about.
1: You thought you found another way to rock?
0: Oh, yeah, but I was wrong, dead wrong. (laughs) Yeah, Giorgio knows all the ways to rock. Fair to say she threw away a lot of latex gloves after this session. She has been up in a lot of guts.
1: (laughs) And she's, uh, she she, like, instead of paying, uses her gun to uh, extract information from these strippers who uh, seem to know more about how Kronos worked than the Klingons that Ash Tyler used to be hanging out with. Meanwhile, Tilly is awaking to Clint Howard attempting to cut the I I didn't even realize that she had a uh, a pair of handcuffs connecting her to the to the like nuclear football briefcase that has the the drone in it. She's got the briefcase that is going to map Chronos as far as she knows and Clint Howard's trying to cut it off. She wakes up, kind of shames him for attempting to steal from her and then she discovers that the, all the volcanoes, which the Federation thought were all dormant on Kronos, are in fact still active.
0: Clint Howard's like, Didn't you know you like to get wet, though.
1: <laughs> so Tilly pops up and calls up uh, Michael Burnham, and he's like, she's like, Dog, I am fucked up. But anyways... I found out that your girl, Georgiou, uh, did not, in fact, pack a drone into this briefcase, but a hydro bomb, and the volcanoes on this planet are still active, so uh, hydro bomb plus volcano equals planet killer, apparently.
0: Yeah, Ben, I thought uh, Tilly did not practice good luggage hygiene. You should always know who packs your <laughs> suitcase. You should check your suitcase before travel. Yeah, especially if you're going to
1: cross an interplanetary border, you know?
0: Yeah, I thought the same thing. Like, this surprise feels surprising to me. Like, you got to know better before you put on the the Halliburton suitcase and handcuff combination. Like, uh, not a good look, Tilly. Can't trust Dick Cheney. So, m- mid-phone call, Georgiou, open palm nose shotzer. And takes her back down to the sofa that she just got up off of.
1: Which is potentially a lethal punch, right? Right. I think we get like a brief scene of Giorgio dropping the bomb down the hole. And then we're on the disco. Tilly's okay. And Michael Burnham is like chewing Admiral Bob out for having (laughs) launched an attempted genocide. And Admiral Bob is like, okay, all right, point made. Genocide is not exactly part of Starfleet Values. And uh and they have like a great like um like I am Spartacus moment where mm-hmm. everybody stands up and, and like rides for doing this mission according to Starfleet values.
0: This is the scene I think that determines whether or not you think this is a good episode. Really oh, and a
1: good series.
0: It's the counterpoint to the earlier mutiny.
1: It's the con- it's the counterpoint to the er- earlier mutiny, and it is not a mutiny, but it does kind of have some mutinous aspects to it, because if you, like, take the 30,000-foot view of it, like, Admiral Bob is over a barrel right now. Like, there's a fucking dozen Klingon warships flying toward Earth as fast as they can right now, and Disco is the only Federation ship at Kronos. Like... <laughs> Admiral Bob, like, cannot afford to lose the faith of these people.
0: I wish this moment was more conflicted, though. Like, the, the conflict between Bob and Michael comes to a head and then dissolves almost as soon as it starts. And for the stakes, like, it doesn't match the stakes of the moment to me. Like, this is, this is genocide and this is war, and this is like the atomic bomb moment, right? Like, should we drop the bomb? And are there shades of genocide or is is genocide binary? Like, isn't there a justification for this? I wanted someone on the crew to be torn by that idea. Like maybe they've, (laughs) this entire crew has family on earth right now. And the idea that of them not dropping this bomb and blowing up Kronos needs to mean that earth goes too. And no one is willing to articulate that. Not even Bob. Like, I wish Bob fought harder for her position.
1: Yeah, I think that it would be nice if Bob was not a hologram, but was like, you know, on the screen, and there was like fucking earth out the window behind her, you know? Right.
0: And maybe the shelling had begun. I think
1: that, man, the the hologram thing might be the worst production design choice they made with this show. Yeah. I understand why they did it. It's like cooler and more new and and you know, shows that this is not your daddy's Star Trek or whatever, but like the idea of she's just like there kind of with them undermines something that would have been more interesting. I understand also like why this scene goes this way. Like I think that if like if there had been a character on the ship that was like really writing for like pursuing the, the killing and then, like, felt really bad about it after because Michael Burnham found a better, less bloody way to do it. That'd be cool. But I also like that, like, this is a one of a long string of times where Michael Burnham has made an impassioned case to a superior officer and convinced them after a first episode in which she made an impassioned case to a superior officer and did not convince them. It's right. her M.O. Like, she argues her fucking point and some of the time she is so persuasive that she actually convinces them and that's a like a a character thing and a cool character thing
0: to me though you can monologize the virtues of starfleet until you are blue in the face but once the monologue is over and your entire race has been exterminated it doesn't matter so like great monologue Michael Burnham, but if the idea of showing mercy at this point results in the destruction of your home planet and everything that you hold dear, and there is there is no path to victory after that, there's no path to your virtuousness eventually ascending into an idea that anyone cares about, because your people are gone. Like, it's a beautiful moment, and it articulates perfectly what starfleet is about and that's the part that gives me chills you know that's this is a great moment in the episode but the logic of it doesn't hold together for me in a way that i wish it had
1: yeah well it's the the dramatic logic and not the like socio-political logic
0: right right
1: you know like starfleet is like what we wish we were and i like to some extent like the political calculus of a society that we wish we were is unknowable, you know? Right. What motivates a character is very hard to imagine. What? 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 What's happening? What? What's all this? I'm trying to save you. What is this? They get Admiral Bob convinced and they beam down to the Star Trek tunnel that Giorgio is still in having dropped this Planet killing bomb down the hole. And uh it's I guess it's just Giorgio and Burnham initially, and Burnham is like, Hey, why don't you drop that bomb detonator? Uh Starfleet is still gonna let you go, but we have decided against killing this entire planet. And the idea here is that like they are going to give Laurel the detonator of all people they've uh put laurel back in her white armor with red tips and they pitch to her this idea that she can unite the klingons by having this doomsday device to threaten them with
0: she seems pretty well adjusted <laughs> this seems like a terrible idea ben because it makes her deterrent an object instead of an idea, right? Like, she's holding an iPad that is the detonator for this bomb, and then she gives this speech to the, to the, to the houses in an effort to unite them, and they just fucking laugh at her. She needs some Toastmasters here, because she's not <laughs> convincing at all until she holds up the detonator and is like, or else... And what is really her threat here? She's going to destroy Kronos unless they unite. Is that really credible? I, yeah, like,
1: I don't know, like, how she convinces anybody that that's a real thing. Like, she holds that up, like, and everybody's just like, Ugh! she has an iPad.
0: <laughs> that's a great call. Like, a lot of antagonists in a lot of movies have done the warning shot right. to demonstrate the ability of of the detonator. And she doesn't even do that but it's enough to turn back the armada and that's what happens.
1: We get the shot of the armada like veering off course and uh, leaving Earth alone. We get one last scene on Kronos where Michael Burnham and Ash Tyler have a, a pretty intense goodbye scene. Tyler kind of thanks Burnham for having loved him and provided him the thing that helped him stay human. And Burnham like even like gets a little bit of the way back toward seeing him as a human being and not just the Klingon sleeper agent that tried to kill her.
0: Yeah. I mean, in response to him expressing his love and appreciation for her, she says something that's better than I love you, which is I see you. And for someone who has had identity issues for a while, (laughs) I think that is about as generous a thing as, as could be said in that moment. They are so great together that it it makes me sad that scenes of them together are going to be few and far between probably going forward because Ash tells her that he's hitching a ride with Laurel and uh, he's going to go try to, you know, if he doesn't belong in either culture, he's going to try to fit in with both and just sort of play both sides.
1: Yeah, so he heads off with her and they like walk off into the distance while being beamed out.
0: Back on Earth, UFP headquarters is in Paris. Ben, that had to make you happy. Is it is it
1: headquarters or just like a, an installation?
0: I don't know. There was a pretty substantial United Federation of Planets situation in France during TNG, too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> headquarters has always been in France. <laughs>
1: This San Francisco office is just to distract people. <laughs> Those liberal assholes think they are in charge, but they are not.
0: We are very permissive with a smoking policy. <laughs> you can smoke indoors.
1: <laughs> this this show depicts it in Paris, but this is not
0: true. It is actually in Vichy. <laughs> It's also clearly, like, in pre-weather generator Earth, right? Like, people are walking around with umbrellas. Yeah. Getting soaked out there. And a pretty beautiful scene here in which uh, Michael Burnham's record is expunged. She's given the full presidential pardon. And uh, Sarek slaps her badge back on her chest. She's good to go as a commander in the Federation again
1: he really is sweet here and he like calls her his daughter i think for the first time like he's really like studiously called her his ward the entire time and uh, in this scene calls her his daughter and i think that's like a big you know what passes for a big display of emotion for a vulcan
0: well i mean michael totally got him off the hook because Sarek was basically complicit in a mission of genocide yeah. that that he hatched with Admiral Bob. So, like, he sort of expresses the, in his own way, his appreciation for Michael Burnham getting him off the hook there. Yeah. But Jesus Christ, Sarek! like, <laughs> that was not a good look for you.
1: Does she get out of this without having a, a powerful Vulcan riding for her back home? Because... Like the way humans are, I could see Bob and the rest of the Admiralty just being like, like, <laughs> Michael Burnham mutinied again and she did not do the plan.
0: Right. And I mean, we're not given a, a lot of time to consider the consequences because we cut to the Federation Medal of Honor scene and Admiral Bob is there. And by all accounts, she was the giver of the medals.
1: Yeah. I would like to have heard Bob kind of apologize for having a moment of weakness in the way that we get it from Sarek.
0: I mean, in a federation that has seen most of its executive branch killed, Admiral Bob is now, like, pretty high up. And for someone who was complicit in almost genocide, what's going to happen in season two, W slash R slash T, that...
1: Yeah. She's just really making it rain those Medal of Honors to uh, make everybody happy.
0: She's given out ambassadorships to, (laughs) like, as gifts to all these people as (laughs) as like hush jobs. Yeah, (laughs) pretty dark.
1: Uh, I like that we got to say one last goodbye to uh, Doctor Culber. Uh, I I feel like Michael Burnham and Zaru are on better terms now than ever before.
0: Yeah, I was a little disappointed that they get underway to go meet their new captain of the disco. Why isn't Saru uh, field-promoted to captain? I think he's done... He's he's acquitted himself very well on a mission that was fucking bonkers. Like... I think uh I think Admiral Bob has done far worse in her decision making than install him as captain. Admiral Bob is like, Well, Saru,
1: we would make you captain, but you did get promoted to commander pretty recently, and there was that whole
0: Kool-Aid Sneeze thing, and he's like, Really? Really? <laughs> yeah, you're gonna hold him to that. <laughs> no one comes out of this clean. No.
1: This is uh this is a bad time for everybody. But they're like pushing out of the of the solar system They jump to warp Sarek is is riding with them He's gonna come Come back to Vulcan with them And uh, they get a little Bit of a distress call at him Yeah, could you guess Who it
0: was gonna be from? Probably like the Kobayashi Maru, right? Yeah <laughs> Yeah, priority one distress call, Ben They really milk
1: it With showing it Spell out NCC17 And then like cutting away Pretty cute ending very cute. And then the and the ships kiss and they go... <sniffs> Enterprise. The Captain Pike era Enterprise comes and kisses the Discovery.
0: We can talk about what our predictions for a season two, but before we get there, Ben, uh, Isik, for your thoughts, did you like the episode?
1: I really did. I don't think it's a perfect episode and I think a, a two-parter, like a like an extendo episode, they might have been able to dig into some of the things that we talked about here, and you know, like my big fear going into this episode, honestly, was like, are we gonna get just like a huge cliffhanger?
0: So, do you think this was a big cliffhanger, a medium cliffhanger, a little bitty cliffhanger?
1: It's like, oh yeah, there's a, like a distress signal from a ship is a is a like that could be a one episode thing. It's like
0: getting an email right now. Yeah. Happens all the time. I
1: like it. Um, You know, like, the thing I wrote down at the end of watching this episode is this is Iborg as a season of television. Mm. It's like, get to know your enemy that just wants to destroy you no matter what. And then, like, have your finger on the button that could just wipe them out completely and decide to take your finger off that button. And I think if that's the the season of T V we watched and the episode we watched, uh I liked it. There's always a better way than than just like the burn it to the ground response.
0: If the grade is pass fail, then the episode to me is pass. But I had a lot of problems with this episode, Ben. And I think they mostly have to do with the essential conflict of, of bomb or not bomb. Mm -hmm. I think what I needed, I needed 10 more minutes in that moment. And I needed the scene in the missile launch room in Crimson Tide. Like I really wanted to get to creep right up to the moment of, of that launch. Like I needed that to be more powerful and for it to just be a conversation there just wasn't enough tension there. It, it was over with so fast. And, you know, for an end-of-season episode that portends to tie up a bunch of stuff, they let everyone go free. Lorel and Ash are gone. Mirror Universe Georgiou's gone.
1: Mirror Universe Giorgio being a free agent in this universe is only going to be fun for future seasons, though.
0: I agree. I'm totally pumped about her chaos agency. But uh I don't know. Like it all to me it all comes down to to the moment with the bomb and and that just not hitting quite as hard as I had hoped it would. Like here's another way to articulate that. This is a season about war. Yeah. And we saw so little of it. It was always talked about or implied or like summarized, like like Admiral Bob gave us the summary of atrocities in, in one of those McLaughlin groups. And like all of those were supposed to serve the justification of genocide as a strategy, but show me some atrocity, man, and then show me that scene in the missile room where things come to a head and I think I think it actually moves the needle for me on feeling stuff. I just didn't feel enough.
1: Well, or even just believing that the like the thing that makes Crimson Tide effective is that they don't know whether the the enemy has already done it to them you know right like they're launching the missiles absent knowing whether the world still exists or not and
0: that's a great rewrite by you ben because if the ships buried inside a planet there's no way they can communicate back to earth or the federation that would have been a great bit of tension in the yep. Like, did we succeed? Didn't we, should we launch this thing anyway?
1: Bring it inside the bottle. Yeah,
0: exactly. And like, and
1: maybe makes the, maybe makes the medal of honor ring a little truer. Like if it's right. not like telling the admirals they were wrong, uh, but actually like going out there and like confronting it and finding that there's a better way based on the, like the facts on the ground and coming right. back and saying like, Hey guys, good news we ended the war <laughs> and you didn't have to destroy an entire planet <laughs> yeah well uh adam one thing that is only fractionally better than destroying an entire planet is reading our priority one messages should we check that out
0: let's do it priority one message from starfleet coming in on Secured channel <laughs> Ben, our first of two priority one messages is of a personal nature. It is from the warm honeyed bosom. It is for Ben and Adam.
1: We've heard from the warm honeyed bosom before, Adam.
0: Message goes like this: P6. <laughs> As disco wraps up, we are considered submitting binturong 34 times, but decided <laughs> to have mercy. Love, Allison, Amanda, Angie, Arnisha, Austin, Braxton, Caitlin, Derek, Devin. Ellie, Jillian, Jen, Jeremy, Joe, Jonathan, Josh, Ken, Kimberly, Manfred, Markmo, Patrick F, Patrick L, <laughs> Robert, Sam, Tanya, and Terry, Lynn, Tobias, and Willow. P.S. Binturong, 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 bin.
1: <laughs> um, I recently learned that binturongs smell like popcorn. Adam. I think that we're always so crazed getting episodes of The Greatest Discovery out that we may have missed the fact that this is
0: the sixth of six messages from the Worm Honeyed honey Bosom. Much like our desire to go back and rewatch the season yeah. or, uh, for further study, I kind of want to go back and reread all the P1s we've gotten for this show to see if I can. Understand Make something of it Or what it means
1: Yeah (laughs) Well Adam Our next Priority one message Is from The warm honeyed bosom (laughs) And it's for Ben and Adam
0: How many bosoms are there?
1: (laughs) P7 We apologize for P1 through P7 Force adding you to Insanity chat And vexing the folks at MaxFun Thanks for the jokes Of Dick and Fart Boning down and your warm reception to our obscure Binturong quote jokes, unquote. <laughs> Making you laugh is a joy. You are the greatest hosts and suppliers of pod humor. Thank you for bringing us together. P.S. It's Floor E. Hashtag S Y P E. Swipe a six? T L Our I don't I don't even know what the end of that was.
0: <laughs> well, if anyone would appreciate a quote-unquote joke, it is people like us who tell quote-unquote jokes. <laughs>
1: in this dumb show. People who do quote-unquote comedy for quote-unquote lulls.
0: Well, uh, much like Star Trek Discovery is coming back for a season two, so too is the greatest discovery, if you're interested in supporting the show by writing something vaguely intelligible, you can go to maximumfundorg slash Jumbotron and write either a personal or commercial message that we'll read on the show. Do that. It's a great, great way to uh, support the ongoing production of what we're doing here, and we appreciate it. Thanks. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area you don't want to have an accident That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the Spring Cleaning Champions at Manscaped They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra It's their 5th generation trimmer Featuring two interchangeable next gen Skin safe blade heads A standard one for taking a little bit off the top and A new foil blade to go smooth Wherever your heart desires They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt Which I will never wear But it was nice of them to do Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from... What am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals? And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off.
1: Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
0: Just one more week till Max Fun Drive.
1: (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely.
0: Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating.
1: Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast
0: app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a season finale drunk Shimoda? Incredible drunk Drunk
1: Shimoda! Shimoda. I did. I feel weird about it because I didn't know that he was a Ted Cruzist. But uh, I, I wrote down Clint Howard and it was not just for the fact that he was like doing drugs and being a weirdo, but um, the, he had a, f- <laughs> a very funny line where Tilly like wakes up and like smacks him away for trying to cut her, her shackle off and she says, shame on you. And he comes back with, I'm a Ryan. Like it's like uh the scorpion and the frog, you know, like yeah, yeah. like i'm just, I'm a criminal, like i I drug people and steal their shit, like come on, leave me alone, that's what I do, you see, <laughs> I am what I am, Rudy, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble for your modern rules and regulations, Theo oh, it's so hard to do late at night. <laughs>
0: Uh, My Shimoda's Tilly, I found it impossible to award anyone besides her my Shimoda in this episode, because she's just so scene-steely. Yeah. From the meeting with Giorgio to the food stall scene, where she's like spitting out space whale, (laughs) uh, to getting high, to being the one during the medal ceremony that is like emotionally pumped for the next thing everyone's pretty seriously accepting of the medals but Tilly is psyched for the next chapter and that's I think what I've always loved about that character she is she knows herself very well and she is willing to feel the thing in the moment in a way that I admire very much so Shimoda goes to Tilly Ben, uh, this is a moment in the episode where we usually discuss what's coming up in the next episode, but maybe we should instead use the time to talk briefly about what we predict for the next season or or hope to see the next season.
1: I, uh, you know, the Enterprise was very uh, ceremoniously trotted out here and I would be uh, pretty surprised if it doesn't play a, a role in the next season. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if uh, Ash Tyler and Laurel and Giorgio don't all make appearances in the next season, but uh I think that it's cool that they've really like left themselves an open slate of uh of story you know like this is not a crazy cliffhanger the war is not still going on um they can go in a lot of different directions here, and uh I think that's pretty cool and i Really hope that they hire you and me to be hallway Starfleet extras.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a critical component of season two success.
1: Yeah, it's not really going to feel right unless we are walking around in a hallway and finding out about some ill shit that is about to happen to our ship.
0: Right. How about you? I'm pretty torn about how much... Or how little I want the Enterprise to be in Season 2. Like, peacetime Star Trek is such a different Star Trek than what we were given in this season. Mm -hmm. That it almost feels like uh, selling us on something and then changing the terms halfway through. So, I'm wondering how interesting or effective it will be if we like pivot to science for 15 episodes <laughs> without an essential military conflict right. being part of the underpinning um i i'm disappointed we don't know who the next captain's going to be i was really psyched to find i thought that was going to be the cliffhanger the reveal was going to be the new captain and then and then we go off to season 2 with that new guy or girl right. Or gender nonconforming alien we've never seen before. Like right. like that that sort of thing.
1: Or like the lazy peak TV thing that it would have been would be like some character that was super evil, you know, or that we hated coming and being the captain now. Um I want Lorca back, dude. Yeah, well, prime Lorca unaccounted for, so he is totally uh he's totally ripe for appearing in season two.
0: I'm hoping that the Enterprise's distress call was about them picking up the Defiant hmm. with Lorca in charge. It has shown up in Prime Universe. What are they going to do about it? Dang, that's what I want. Like, let's continue the Mirror Universe shit forward. Like, to to just leave it behind, I think would would be a waste. There's been so much story building. Around this thing, let's let's run it for three seasons. Even
1: I don't love the mirror universe. I, I'm going to be honest. I would uh, I would be pretty happy to leave it behind. <laughs> All right, um, Adam. We're going to do a wrap up episode, and that is going to come out not next week, but the week after. Is that right? Uh, at this point, that's the plan. Sure. We'll both rewatch the entire season and do our kind of final thoughts on season one. And then going forward, month to month, it'll be a once-a-month show, and uh, we'll have some cool interviews and stuff. Uh, we're already working on uh, some great guests and stuff for that, and I'm really looking forward to that, because it's going to be a really weird and different kind of thing for us.
0: Yeah, you and me both. That'll be cool. Uh, we don't know when season two is going to come back, but we do know that the show is being written as we speak, and uh, production is expected to start in April.
1: And hopefully, like, at some point in one of those scripts that they're working on, there's, like, two, you know, pretty weird-looking dudes walking down a hallway, and some intense announcement goes over the PA, and those guys have to, like, stop looking at their iPad, stop conferring over the information on the iPad, and look up.
0: I'm going to set my my sights a little higher, Ben. Yeah? Uh, I, want, I want a line of dialogue, and then immediately after that I want to be sucked out into space <laughs> like hey did anyone hear a whoosh
1: and then I'm out you, you, you want to be the guy in first blood that is coming into into the police precinct not knowing yeah, what exactly. has happened and gets kicked in the, in the belly
0: that's my favorite guy yeah <laughs>
1: Alright, well, you, it sounds like you're gonna have a cooler cameo than I am <laughs> That's It's okay. not cooler,
0: it's just different, Ben
1: And our reminder, like to the producers We're happy to fly ourselves to Toronto and put ourselves up even
0: I won't even eat from the craft services table
1: Yeah, we're gonna donate whatever scale you have to pay us to charity
0: It's a win-win-win
1: Yeah uh, Well, Adam What do we have to do to take this bad boy home?
0: Oh, we gotta hit stop record and then we have to upload the files to Rob. Take it away, Rob. Yeah, good job,
1: Rob. Nice season. Well done. The Greatest Discovery is a MaximumFun.org podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Benjamin R. Harrison and produced and edited by Rob Schulte. Music by Adam Ragusia. Head to MaximumFun.org to support the ongoing production of this show. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen when discussing the show on Twitter. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, and Adam is at CutForTime. And make sure to check out the GreatestGen Reddit and Facebook groups if you're
0: looking to continue the conversation even further.